What's going on, everyone? And welcome into Plazon's podcast, filled to the brim with glitchy analysis and freezing cold takes so cold that they're boiling hot. Today's podcast is proudly sponsored by Hungry Howie's Baton Rouge. Check out their website for delivery and takeout deals. Right now, they have an amazing deal. Get a large one-topping pizza for just $7.99 when you order a carryout. Thank you so much to Hungry Howie's Baton Rouge. Now, today's episode, we are going to talk about everything in the NBA and the NFL that's going on. This time of the year is the driest in sports, and here's why. For starters, the NFL is in the offseason, and the new calendar year doesn't start until March 15th. College football is in the quietest part of their offseason with spring training just around the corner, and that's to say the same with the MLB. Now, the NBA is in their all-star break, which has turned into kind of just a full-on vacation, which with me just sucks as a sports fan. Now, the only debatable sport worth watching right now is college basketball, but guess what? It's not going to hold us back. This episode of Plaisant's podcast is on the hunt. We're checking every corner and doing huge sweeps across every sport for the best stories possible. And here they are, ladies and gentlemen. So most importantly, let's start with NBA All-Star Weekend. First thing I've got to address, and for my young audience, parental supervision is advised. I am ripping the NBA to shreds for honoring one of the most quietly controversial NBA figures of all time, Carl Malone. Now, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, this is not slander or liable. This is what has been reported as facts. I'm reading verbatim from reports when I quote these things. Shortly after Carl Malone began his pro basketball career in the 1980s, two lawsuits came forth from two different women alleging that he was the father of their children. The first was from Bonita Ford, who was the same age as Malone and gave birth to twins, who Malone acknowledged as his children from Ford and were welcomed to the family as early as 1989. However, that's not the most controversial part of the story. Malone's second paternity suit came from Gloria Bell, a girl who gave birth to Demetrius Bell at the age of 13. And for those of you who are wondering how old Malone was at that time, he was 20 years old when he impregnated Bell. Now, it doesn't stop there, folks. For years and years of court dates and lawyers debating, a report leaked to the Tribune that the paternity test confirmed Malone was the father of 13-year-old Gloria Bell's child. But regardless of that evidence, Malone refused to acknowledge the child's existence for decades besides paying the privately negotiated child support lump sum that he paid. Demetrius Bell actually went on to play NFL football for four years and told the Buffalo News during his stint with the Bills that he had only spoken once during his life to Carl Malone. Malone spoke to Bell when he was 18 years old to tell him that it was too late to have a father-son relationship and that he would have to make it as a man on his own. That was in 2003. It took Malone 11 more years to begin to form a relationship with his estranged son. The only redeeming part of this story is that the two now have a good, consistent relationship. That's the end of that story, and it's now time to give you my opinion. This isn't cancel culture. I'm not criticizing Malone for not having a relationship with his son, okay? There's millions of those stories across the United States. The facts are the facts, though. Malone had sex 
with a 13-year-old girl when he was 20 years old. To me, he should be nowhere near the NBA, nowhere near the Utah Jazz, but regardless of my opinion, the NBA All-Star Weekend in Utah, of course, featured legend Carl Malone. He was a judge on the slam dunk contest on Saturday and honored by the NBA before the competition began. Now, I'm not calling for Malone's imprisonment or his banning from the NBA events or even having him featured on the Jumbotron at Jazz Games, but to feature him as a dunk contest judge to parade him and champion him as someone who could be a face for the league, to me, that's something that's hard to move on from. It's not that these things can't be forgiven. It's that he's obviously a public figure and he's done everything humanly possible to dodge the topic of this conversation. Statutory rape. I just think that this is one of the worst moves by the NBA in a while. But moving on to the actual All-Star Weekend, I think overall it was okay. DK Metcalf captured the Celebrity All-Star Game and dominated putting up 20 points, 10 boards, and 4 blocks. Now, the Rising Stars Challenge was confusing at best with four teams competing and, like, rotating out, in and out. I'm just not sure, like, if it was interesting or not, and the star talent was lacking, to say the least. The most notable standouts in the game were Quentin Grimes from the Knicks and Jose Alvarado from the Pelicans. Now, Alvarado won the MVP, but to me, this just lacked... The it factor. Like in 2021 at the Rising Stars Challenge, those teams had Zion Williamson, John Morant, LaMelo Ball, and Anthony Edwards. I don't know where you can kind of go from here, but it just lacked that it factor for me. But moving on to the skills challenges. Now, they were pretty regular night. You know, the skills challenge was run by the Jazz. The three-point competition was won by Damian Lillard. But overall, if that would have been a pretty regular night, would have been an overall disappointment from NBA skills nights in the past. But guess what? It was absolutely saved by an NBA G-leaguer. High school phenom and recent G-league signee of the Philadelphia 76ers, Mac McClung dominated the dunk contest and ended it with a bang. He destroyed a 540 reverse jam and came down off the rim and declared the contest was done by hitting Vince Carter's signature dunk contest celebration. It's over. But the All-Star game itself was disappointing. And I know I sound like an old head when I say, oh, back in the day, these teams played defense and blah, 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 blah. But let's be honest. This was just a shoot-around. The NBA All-Star Game is just a shoot-around now. Five players scored 32 or more, and both teams shot 60% from the floor. The final score was 184 to 175. There were over 250 possessions in the game. There were only three total blocks and 15 steals. 18 of the 250 possessions ended in some kind of defensive playmaking. Are we serious right now? That's horrible. At this point, it would be better to just give the players a nine-day break and let them come back completely recharged to make a playoff push. The dunk contest and whatnot is cool and everything, but as of right now, it's not what I would call must-see live TV like it once was. But maybe I am an old head. (laughs) But now that the All-Star Weekend is over, let's talk about the NBA championship and MVP favorites. Now, the championship bubble to me has about 10 teams 
in it right now, maybe 11, but to me, it's 10 teams. Now, in order, let's take a look at my 10 most likely teams to win the NBA Finals. Number 10, the Memphis Grizzlies. John Morant is dominant as usual, but is he ready for a grueling playoff battle that is going to consist of his toughest competition yet? Since January 20th, the Grizzlies are 4-9, and and the Grizzlies have some tough games left on their schedule. It's going to be a long rest of the season for John Morant. He's going to have to carry the load like he did last year, and at the end of his playoff series versus the Warriors, he got injured. Will that happen again this year, and will that become his identity as a player who cannot last the entire season? Number nine, the Cleveland Cavaliers. I think the Cavs have one of the most exciting rosters in the NBA, but they just lost a key role player in Kevin Love, who averaged eight points and seven boards a game. To me, the Cavs need the rest of this season to mesh together and win a ring maybe next year. I could be underestimating them, though, but I've got them at number nine for right now. Number eight, the Los Angeles Clippers. Health, help, and more health are the only reasons that this team is not in the top three on my list. With the additions of Bones Highland from Denver, Mason Plumley from Charlotte, and Eric Gordon from Houston, this is one of the best constructed rosters in the NBA. Paul George and Kawhi Leonard have to, I mean have to, stay healthy for this team to win it all. If not, they're an 8th seed team that's going to go out in the first round. Now number 7, the Denver Nuggets. Nikola Jokic is on track to win MVP yet again, and the Nuggets have the best record in the Western Conference. But are they just a regular season team? I am certainly thinking so. Now, if I had to compare them to anyone, I would compare them to the Lebronto Raptors with Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan that got beat by the Cavaliers three years in a row. I don't think this is a deep playoff team. I never did. The only way that that would ever happen is if Jamal Murray returned to his bubble days and Michael Porter Jr. played like he was supposed to play when he had that giant spurt right before the playoffs in 2021. If both of those things could happen, maybe they're a serious contender, but for now, they're number seven. Number six, the Dallas Mavericks. There's two reasons I like the Dallas Mavericks, Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving. Now, in terms of star power, they're the best duo in the league right now. However, do I trust Kyrie's personal and injury history? Not enough for them to be in the top five. Dallas Mavericks at number six. Now, sitting at number five is the Golden State Warriors. Everyone knows the following statement is true. The last place you want to end up in the playoffs is Oracle Arena against the Healthies Warriors team. Okay, They're sluggish this season, but when they turn it on, they're easily a top three team in the league. I'm not counting them out whatsoever. I think this team could make a sneaky run unless they have to run into my number one team. Number four, the Philadelphia 76ers. To me, The 76ers are as good as the 76ers are going to get in the near future. Embiid is playing like prime Shaq right now, and he's got a team behind him that fits perfectly for the modern NBA. The real question is, does James Harden have enough left in the tank to push this team to a ring? My answer is maybe. It's a strong maybe. Number three, the Boston Celtics. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have been playing at an extraordinary level and have elevated into the superstar duo status that is very rarely given out. But their depth isn't quite what it was last year. Their big three contributors from their depth positions last year 
Marcus Smart, Robert Williams, and Al Horford have all kind of taken a step back. All three of these guys played huge roles in the Celtics finals run last year. They've missed some game time this year, and they've taken a small step back in terms of their production. Now, will the return of these players to their health create a team that is ready to compete for another finals? I definitely think so. But that's not to get in the way of the number two team on this list, the Milwaukee Bucks. The debate has been over to me for the past three years. Giannis is the best player in the NBA, and to me, it's not close. As long as Chris Middleton can stay healthy and return to true form, the Bucs should easily win the East. But they're going to run into the number one team in the league right now. Odds on favorite, I don't care what you have to say. Number one, the Phoenix Suns. A Suns-Bucks final rematch is what I'm thinking that's going to happen. Only instead of this time, Kevin Durant is at the helm of the Suns. This is going to be the most pressure that he's ever faced going into a postseason because the Suns maybe are more talented than that Warriors team when he joined, but they are not a dynasty. Overall, if all goes the way that I think it's going to go, Kevin Durant is going to capture his third ring at the end of this year. All that needs to happen is that the Suns need to stay healthy. Chris Paul, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, and Kevin Durant just need to play on the floor together, and they win. That's my take. Those are the top 10 finals contenders right now. Now let's look at the MVP odds. It's a pretty clear-cut race as to who is in the top three. Right now, Giannis Embiid and Nikola Jokic are in the race together. Now, Nikola Jokic is the heavy favorite according to sportsbooks, but I think the MVP race is interesting for this reason and this reason alone. Out of these three, it's anyone's game going forward into the end of the season. If one of these three dominate, they'll win the MVP. The best part about this MVP race is that there are no major narratives that are controlling the race. It doesn't seem to me that a lot of people care that Jokic has already won the last two, and it doesn't seem to matter that Joel Embiid and Giannis Antetokounmpo have already competed for MVP races in the past. There's nobody coming out and like exploding onto the scene to win the MVP like Giannis did back in 2019. So it's just a fair three-way run to the finish line between three guys that arguably all deserve the award. Personally, I think the MVP should go to the best player, which in my opinion is Giannis, of course, but I digress. I think Jokic will probably end up with the MVP because he's going to finish the year top 20 in scoring per game, top 10 in rebounds per game, top three in assists per game, and he's shooting 60% from the floor. Now that's enough NBA talk for the day. If you came to listen for the NFL talk, here it is. I am just going to update you on the latest around the league. For starters, Calvin Ridley, the newly acquired wide receiver for the Jacksonville Jaguars, applied for reinstatement after being suspended for a full season. Now, Ridley was suspended for violating the NFL policy on gambling by gambling on NFL games himself. In his last full season, Ridley had 90 catches for 1,374 yards and nine touchdowns. I think this is a great, cheap addition to a Jags offense that is already stacked with talent. Watch for him to have a huge comeback season and for him to have, you know, a maybe kind of Jalen Waddle Tyreek Hill duo with Christian Kirk this next season. Trevor Lawrence has an absolute godsend of a gift this year without even having to give up major first round picks for Calvin Ridley. That's insane. Now, in other news, Vic Fangio 
signs as the defensive coordinator for the Dolphins. In my opinion, this right here is an A-plus hire for Miami. Fangio is one of the best defensive minds in the game of football. And just to mention a few of his accolades, he was the defensive coordinator for the best defense in 2018 in the Chicago Bears. He had a top 10 defense as the head coach for the Denver Broncos for three years. And he coached players like Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, and Patrick Willis. With the talent on the offensive side of the ball that the Dolphins have, it's no question that Fangio's hire is a great way to make such a lopsided team not so lopsided anymore. Now moving on, both Eagles offensive and defensive coordinator were hired away this offseason. First up, defensive coordinator for the Eagles, Jonathan Gannon, filled the head coaching void in Arizona, which I thought was a subpar hire because of what happened in the Super Bowl. Gannon's defense faced an above-average quarterback just three times, in my opinion, this season. Those three being Dak Prescott, Patrick Mahomes, and Aaron Rodgers. In those three games, the quarterbacks averaged 208 yards per game, two and a half touchdowns, only one interception on 75% completion percentage. Not to mention, the defense gave up on average 34 points per game. To me, he lacks the experience and credibility to take on a project team like Arizona, whose defense is in shambles. I give this a C-minus hire at best. Meanwhile, Eagles offensive coordinator Shane Steichen followed in the footsteps of Frank Wright after a Super Bowl appearance and took a job with the Indianapolis Colts. Unlike Gannon, Steichen seems to be more well-equipped to build a strong offensive unit. Although he has the same experience issues that Gannon might have, Steichen did not have as many holes in his coaching game. He was Phillip Rivers' quarterback coach in the best year of his career, and he helped Justin Herbert blow the minds of every NFL critic that he had in 2020. But last but not least, he took Jalen Hurts and turned him into a bona fide top five quarterback in the league. Match that resume with some young, moldable quarterback that they could draft in Indianapolis, and you could have some lightning in a bottle. The Eagles have, are, and will be taking massive losses throughout the offseason. 11 major free agents closing on both coordinators and losing them, and then Hertz's contract extensions talk beginning, they have a lot of holes to fill. Will they be able to make it back to the Super Bowl next year? It's looking doubtful. Howie Roseman is going to have to have one hell of an offseason to pull it off. Now on to more coordinator hires. We've got Georgia offensive coordinator Todd Monken headed to Baltimore to head up the offensive front. Now I think this is a more significant hire than people think. Monken's resume is not a dual-threat quarterback-centric type resume, and reports say that he was hired on the assumption that Lamar Jackson could or could not be back. This, to me, is a signal by the Ravens that they are moving on from Lamar and they're going to start fresh in terms of Monken himself. I think that he has a decent resume with success, uh, maybe as of recent. I give this a B hire. Now, in probably one of the most shocking lateral movements that I've ever seen, Eric Bieniemy left the Kansas City Chiefs to become the offensive coordinator of the Washington Commanders. The reasoning behind this was that Bieniemy wanted to run the show himself, and that's exactly what he's going to get to do. He gets to pick his own staff as well as become the assistant head coach, which is not like a huge thing in my opinion, but it could be for him. Now, outside of his stint in Kansas City, the list of experience is not extensive, but overall, this is a gamble by the enemy. He's hoping that it will pay off. His one major question is who will be his quarterback. 
I give this a B plus higher with the potential to drop to an F very quickly. Last but not least in NFL news, Derek Carr was released by the Las Vegas Raiders in a move to give some cap space to the Raiders. Carr was benched in the latter part of the last season because the Raiders owed him $40 million next year, but they didn't want to have to give it to him and they didn't want him to get injured because then they definitely have to give it to him. And that was after deciding that they were ready to move on for him. Now, that being said, Carr is completely free to go wherever he chooses right now. Right now, the top five teams, according to Fox Sports, are the Panthers, Buccaneers, Saints, Jets, and Colts, and that's in order. However, the two teams that will push the hardest for him are the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the New Orleans Saints. It's been reported that Carr already met with New Orleans, and both the Saints, head coach Dennis Allen, and the Bucs coach Todd Bowles are kind of on the hot seat and looking to win now. For Frank Wright and Shane Steichen at the Panthers and the Colts, respectively, their jobs in Carolina and Indianapolis are secure. They don't have to have a win-now quarterback, and they don't have to make a win-now move. The Jets, to me, are going to be bought completely into the Aaron Rodgers sweepstakes, so that only leaves Tampa Bay and New Orleans to me. I think Carr would be best fit in New Orleans to win. That defense is top 10, and that offense has got some weapons. If he went there, I think they win that division easily, and they could make a surprise playoff push because the NFC is pretty weak. Now that, my friends, is going to do it for this episode of Plaisant's Podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button, that follow button, leave a comment in our YouTube, DM us on Instagram, any questions that you'd like to have answered on this podcast, and thank you all so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.